Gracious God, we thank you that you're here with us by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we thank you for the many things that we are thankful for. And we pray now that as we open up your word, that we will grow in our sense that you are here present with us, and open up our hearts, and illuminate our minds and our souls, that we might hear your word afresh, your voice speaking to us individually and corporately. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together are glorifying unto you, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. Amen. This is a season of thanksgiving, dear friends, and it's time to reflect on what we are thankful for. And I thought, maybe why don't we do that now? Why don't we just, I'm going to walk out, I'm going to scare you now. What are we thankful for? Can you just say something out loud? Anybody want to say something out loud? Life, family. I heard NFL. Wait a minute. <laughs> Health. <laughs> the li- okay, there's some Detroit Lion fans in here. They're having a great season because they took my quarterback. Okay, anyway, it was off, off the subject. What else are we thankful for? The weather. Community. Community. We're thankful. California. God. Thankful for God. God's presence here. That we are safe and secure. The mission elder just said it. 210 shoeboxes that are going to go out throughout the world. Amen. <laughs> you know, on uh, Thursday, I was given the opportunity to lead the chapel service for our preschool students. And I asked them the same question. As I was sharing a story, then I said, well, what what are you thankful for? And I heard wonderful things. I heard my mom, my dad, um, thankful for our teachers. A couple of them said, well, I'm thankful for my toys. And one said, I'm thankful for my Tonka trucks. And everybody was like, yeah, the Tonka trucks are awesome. And then I heard this, I'm thankful for the playground. You know, I have to tell you, uh, that phrase, I'm thankful for the playground, means a great, great deal. Think of it, all the planning, all the hard work, all the fundraising, all the matching gifts, all the hoops we had to jump through with the city codes, the fire codes, all the drawings, all the things that went into preparing this, raising the funds, And this past week, on a Thursday, in a drizzly morning, a three-year-old walks with her classmates in a line down through here into the sanctuary, sits here on the stairs, and answers the question, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for the playground. That means a great deal. All the hard work and the vision and the planning and the work together. Because I remember all that. Someone once said, remembering and thankfulness are bound together. Remembrance and thanksgiving are bound together. By recalling the blessings in our lives, recalling what God has done, it radically changes our perspective on the world, on our lives. Remembering 
and thankfulness are bound together because it helps lift us up out of whatever maybe despair or sorrow or woe that we are caught up in. Lately, it seems like it's very easy to fall into the, the, the sense of woe and, and worry over the things of our world, wars that rage, people who are suffering, tensions in communities, unrest in our cities. We had hopes. I had hopes and promise, you know, after the, 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 the years of disruption through the pandemic, that we had come out with a sense of calm and a, a sense of reassurance. And yet, these last few years, the last few weeks, the last few months, it's easy to, to see the things that we did not expect. It's easy to get discouraged over the broken world with no clear picture of resolve, it seems like. Likewise, there are reports that our young people are going through very difficult times in their mental health, their social, relational health, because of social media, they're having these reports of this, and it's, it's, it's troubling. Indeed, it also can be a time, the time of the year as we're reminded of our blue Christmas service that is coming up in December. The pressures that we lay upon ourselves to put that outward sense of everything's just fine and dandy. And yet at the same time, we carry these heavy burdens in our souls and our lives. And burdens that, for people we love, the difficulties that we face, difficulties that we face that we never anticipated a year ago. And yet, dear friends, there's power in remembering that draws out the gratitude. Remembrance and thanksgiving are bound together. And it certainly seems to be the case in our passage this morning as we are invited into remembering and thanksgiving. Our thanksgiving text comes from a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the first century, the Church of Philippi. Hear God's word. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day now, until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify, or God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the affection, with the, the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Paul is writing from a prison cell, as we were reminded. Roman guards are holding him for his work in planting churches in their prized colonies, Philippi, Ephesus, as we learned last week. And he writes to this church reminding them how he is thankful. He's sitting in a foreign government's prison cell. It could be a place that could easily cause despair. I've shared with you before a a friend of mine. We served uh, together on the mission field when we were in college. We went to Istanbul, Turkey and did some friendship evangelism. Dan Bauman. He continued on in his mission work in the Middle East. Years later, he found himself in in a prison cell in Iran. After nine months, he was eventually freed. We got together. We sat over a cup of coffee and we talked. And He eventually wrote a book about his experience, but he looked at me in the eyes and he said, John, I was filled with despair and sorrow when I was held in that prison. There were moments I didn't think I was going to survive. Here's Paul, filled in a prison cell, chained, and yet he is saying, I am thankful every time I remember you, church. Perhaps he's trying to reassure his close friends who are heavy with the news of his imprisonment. Can you imagine this church and they're saying, our pastor, the one who brings life and reminds us of Christ's power and kingdom and, and transforms us and leads us, he's in prison. He's facing death, and yet it has not robbed him of his gratitude for them. Or maybe it's that the Philippian church themselves are under a sense of pressure and conflict and and the pressures of the the society, and maybe they're losing their sense of gratitude. Paul knows that if they can see his sense of joy and, and thankfulness, maybe they'll recover their own. Paul's prayer is thankful. Why is he thankful? He's thankful because what he remembers. What does he remember? He remembers their partnership. And the partnership comes out in three ways as he remembers. He remembers first that they are partners in grace. Partners in grace. The common gift of grace. You've heard it said, misery loves company. Well, the church, grace loves company. Grace loves company. When we read about Paul's first visit to Philippi in Acts chapter 16, when he was planting the church in Philippi, its charter members, dear friends, come from very, very different backgrounds. A wealthy businesswoman who sold purple cloth throughout the world a Roman jailer. When Paul and Silas were bound in chains in Philippi because they were ministering there and they were thrown in prison, they were singing songs and hymns. And then there's the earthquake. We were singing a song earlier. uh, Praise opens prison doors. Well, it's true. There's Paul in prison, and he's singing, and he's praying with Silas, and the prison doors are broken open through an earthquake. The jailer in there knew what would have happened to him 
if he had lost his prisoners under his watch. It was certain death. And so he's about to run himself through with a sword when Paul and Silas in the background of the jail cell call out, say, don't! We're still here! Don't do it! The man is so shaken and brought to faith in that very moment. His whole family is baptized. Here is a charter member of the church, a Roman jailer, and then also a slave girl who was in the city streets and her owners would give her this narcotic so she would hallucinate and, and tell fortunes and many people would pay to hear the fortunes told by this slave girl bound. She is set free. She no longer had this uh, trouble. She, demons, whatever, came out of her and Paul frees her from that and now her owners are very upset with him because now there's no business. She becomes a charter member of the first church in Philippi. It's hard to imagine less agreeable group starting a church. But they had something in common. God's grace. God's grace in their lives. They experienced it afresh. Set free by the power of Christ's work in their lives. And that's what binds them together. And that's what binds them together, but also attracts others to their church. It's the grace that holds them together through the rough and tumble of life. Likewise, you and I are blessed with the gift of grace. That's what brings us together. We're drawn together as a people because of a common gift, grace. And this is what communicates hope and joy. It draws us together as one, partners in grace. Paul is thankful for their partnership in grace. Second, they are partners in the task. God who began a good work in you will complete it. God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. They're partners in the task. They share the gift of grace, but they also share the opportunity in the task. For Paul, he's defending, confirming the gospel of grace. Defending and confirming the gospel of grace is what he was saying to them. And they, he says, you are partners with me in confirming and defending the gospel. Have you ever been bound together with someone or a group in a task? I remember years ago we went to Mexico and we helped build a, a house with the youth department. And we we're bound together in this task and putting it together is very rewarding. It was hard work. I was tired. I was missing my own house and my home and my kids, and yet we're bound together in this task. It makes a difference. It's a beautiful experience. Paul holds memories of how they're bound together in a task in this Riverside prayer group as they establish the church. They met with so many that they had a sense of God and God was with them, and the ministry grew. We might not be running around like the Apostle Paul, defending and affirming and confirming the, the gospel of grace every day like he is, but we have opportunities every day to defend and confirm and affirm the gospel of grace in our lives. 
just this week. I was here working on my sermon, my message, and there was a handful of people from our safety team meeting with contractors as we figure out how best to spend that $200,000 grant to secure our campus, to make it safe and welcoming all at the same time. And there they are in the NPR, grinding over papers, working hard together defending and confirming the gospel of grace to make this place safe, investing their time and talents. It's not going to happen without their partnership and working in that. You heard from Garrett and the partnership that we have with our our elders and our, our deacons. Our family ministry leaders and our youth leaders have fanned and confirmed the gospel of grace every Wednesday night with our youth department and pathfinders and our, our youth ministries. By being present, by guiding, by praying, by listening to our young people as the trials that they face each week. Our prayer groups, our life groups are defending and confirming the gospel of grace and then through their work together. Our session meets regularly. They confirm and defend the gospel of grace as they wrestle together how best to guide and lead us as a congregation spiritually and manage the resources that God has provided us. Our deacons alongside one another, sharing their their time and their talent and love and gifts. They're bound together in a task. Images of results of our Mission Fellowship Night. We have, uh, we met in the Fellowship in the uh, fellowship hall in the NPR, and we put together all these baskets and boxes that reflect there, bags that you know, pencils, education materials for for children. And I was there, and I was, you know, we were kind of competing, see how many bags we could do it at the same time, and how fast we could go. And um, our mission elder says, "It's not a race. Stop making it a competition." and a couple of us guys are looking at it. No, it is a competition. Let's go. I could do more ba- bags than you can. You know, anyway, we're fighting over that. I, it didn't really come to me. Or, I didn't really realize how important these bags are to children in our world. Check out these photos. These are children at an educational center along the border Agua Prieta, our mission partners at the Children's Educational Enrichment Center near Douglas, Arizona. We're connected through our partnership with the Presbyterian Church USA, and here they are through Mark Adams and Miriam Escobar, our Peace USA mission co workers. I love that one where the kid is holding up to the camera. Look at my education bag. They would not have those opportunities. Pencils are so important for this group. And here they are, smiling, filled with grace. We are confirming and defending the gospel of grace together, dear friends. Paul is thankful for their partnership. And third, Paul reminds them that they are partners in suffering. Paul is in jail and describes the situation, and there is one that they share. He says, we are bound together 
and suffering. We're partners in his bonds. And Paul is finding strength in the memory that he's not suffering alone. If you lived in the first century and you found yourself in a, in a prison, a Roman jail, your life depended on outside assistance. It was not happened. You would not survive without outside assistance for meals, for clothes, blankets in the winter. Paul depended upon them for their uh, for his writing materials. We read about that, that in uh, other letters that he says, thank you for sending me my writing materials and my blankets and my cloak. Supplies that can continue his work. The good people of Philippi continue to send him materials and resources that he was allowed to allow him to survive. At the end of the letter, he thanks them again for all the things that they provided for them to him. Even today, there are parts of the world that the line between life and death depends on outside assistance. Many years ago, a group of us from TPC, from Tribucal Press, we went to Malawi, Africa, and we visited Presbyterian churches, congregations. There's a seminary there, this one area that we were at. There also is a hospital, a wonderful hospital. But medical system differs, differs significantly in this area of the world. This patient's health and welfare depend heavily on families helping daily needs. There's an a area outside the compound of the, of the hospital where families are able to set up camp and they prepare meals. They wash bandages. They provide supplies for their friend or their family member that is in the hospital. They wash their clothes, sterilize bandages, and provide supplies. So this person can recover. We are partners in suffering, Paul says, with one another, suffering for the world, suffering for those we love. We carry the burden together, dear friends, for those among us that are suffering. And we boldly pray that as we share in the suffering, that the image of Christ's reconciliation it brings back the sense that we're not alone. I'm not suffering alone. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not suffering alone. And so I am thankful for your partnership in suffering. So dear friends, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, as it approaches us in the next few days, we are reminded of partnership. We are reminded of partnership together. Our partnership in grace, our partnership in the task, and our partnership in suffering. Which one of these will animate your life this week? Which one of these will be a source of encouragement and help as you lead your life? Whatever challenges or hopes or dreams you face, which one of these will give you the courage Partners in grace, partners in the task, and partners in suffering. Amen.